Traveling the Vortex. We join the doctor as he travels the vortex and arrive at episode 472. And this podcast is just like a key, and keys are just keys until you slip one into the correct lock. I'm Keith. I'm Sean. I'm Glenn. How are you guys? Pretty good. So if we're a key, what's the correct lock? (laughs) That's the question. And then with a single turn, all sorts of things can be unleashed. Just like with this podcast. (laughs) Did you guys do anything fun this week? Uh, Mel and I finished a rewatch of the Harry Potter films. That was fun. Nice. Had been a while since, you know, gone back and done all eight of them. Eight? Yeah, eight. Ten, if you count Fantastic Beasts. Uh, we didn't this time around. <laughs> <laughs> Keith, did you do anything this week? I don't, not that I can think of. Oh, my. <laughs> what about you, Glenn? I watched Enlightenment. And in fact, because uh, I had read the novelization last week, this week I decided to pick up the, the video off the shelf and I put it in and realized that I had never watched the special edition, which is the uh-huh. uh, uh, omnibus version with new special effects and a new cut. And then they've, they've formatted it so it's 16 by 9 as well. I really feels enjoyed a little more it. movie like. Yeah, it was very more cinematic, and I think they must have. I think they tweaked the music a little bit. There are some, there are some music swells that I don't remember or don't think they, they, not that they didn't fit or they felt out of place, but they weren't exactly what you would expect from '80s Doctor Who, and so I wonder if maybe they were little musical inserts for maybe a little more dramatic emphasis. Um, but it was, it was good. I really enjoyed it. I'd forgotten how much I liked that particular story. Um, I still maintain Mark Strickson is just a tad over the top in his performance in it, but, um, it's Turlow, so you give him a pass, I guess. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about the news. What was in the news this week? Well, today, actually, on Veterans Day 1111. Doctor Who has resumed the filming for series 13. Yay! It comes with some slightly sad news. Like they don't <laughs> expect to do a full 11 episode season. Yeah. They're expecting what? an eight episode season because of COVID protocols. It takes so much longer to film every episode. <sighs> What's interesting about this is that they expect to film eight possible they might not film eight right. it's possible they may film more <laughs> right well it's possible that they may film less and i think that that's why yeah. they framed it that way because i don't think they want to get anybody's hopes up in case things get even worse but right now they're working under you know certain rules and conditions as far as covid goes so okay so now the question in my mind now wait let, let, let me back that up real quick that's only four fewer than we normally get so when you think of it that way it's only four fewer than we normally get that just means less filler not as good episodes (laughs) well maybe let's hope (laughs) that's the question when you are planning a 12 episode season 
which we, you know, and and that may not have even been because I think in one that last year we only got ten. That's what it's only been with Whitaker was ten with Whitaker is with, 10. A, with a special. So it's actually, so it's, that's it's where eleven comes from. Two or three less, but w- when it suddenly becomes that, it's like okay, so now where do you, as the showrunner, make that break? Do you go and call episodes that might be too cost prohibitive, expensive location shoot affairs because of the COVID protocols? Or do you call one maybe that you weren't happy with that needs to cook a little bit longer? Or do you put the big uh, two-part finale on hold and go, well, it'll just be the opener for next season? There's so many Uh, different ways that could fall. I agree. I would think that the latter is probably the least likely because I think you want your series to kind of go out on a high point. So I don't think you hold what would effectively be a season finale to open your next season. I think that would be foolish. I also think one of the things that I think encourages me of them only doing eight episodes is not only the fact that we might get eight really good episodes instead of, you know, eight really good episodes and two subpar ones but also i think that when you've you've they probably because they budget so far out they've probably already budgeted ahead and they probably Mm -hmm. have a full uh 10 week or 10 episode budget which yeah i think you might be onto something that they might cost a little more because of covid restrictions there might be more they have to do more precautions they have to take if it takes longer to but, film every episode it's yeah. going to cost more money so but i think that that gives you a chance of really having some you know knock out great uh, effects because if you spend i mean i wouldn't want it to um, come at the expense of a story but right. yeah. if you a lot of that stuff is done in seclusion with you don't have actors around, so it might you know we might see some really really pretty cool special effects this year. I mean, we were always seeing I think already great production quality as far as special effects go. So we might that might improve too with you know fewer episodes having to be done. Not to mention that cuts down on the time that you have to get them done. You know, you if you're working on ten or even 11 episodes if you're putting the Christmas one in that block or the holiday one in that block, that's a lot, you know, a lot less time you have to work on special effects. So maybe eight would give them more time, especially if they're taking longer to, you know, to actually film and stuff too. Right. Yeah. I mean, let's say for the sake of argument that you're going to New Zealand and you finally got, uh, uh, Peter Jackson on board to direct one. Now New Zealand's not going to let anybody in during a pandemic that's kind of their thing so it's like oh well i guess that one's getting cut from this season do you then take all the money you would have spent flying your crew to new zealand and go hmm episode five could use some more visual effects yeah let's spend the money there if there was something like that planned i'm sure that would probably be the case well and i would think also you know they expect to film eight they don't know how many they'll actually get to film so hopefully I would imagine they would schedule their filming a little differently this year where they make sure they get the premiere and the season finale and anything that might tie the two together done in the meantime or get those done first and then tackle kind of the standalone episodes. Mm -hmm. That way, in case they only get seven made, the overall story doesn't get hurt at all. And thank goodness, uh, you know, in a way that the pandemic happened during Chibnall's run versus Moffat because you know can you imagine trying to trim a handful of episodes out of a Moffat season which is all one big long arc 
Well, last season was a lot more heavy on the arc than the preseason before. So That's true. That's very true. It could true. go either way with Chibnall. And maybe he knew going into writing this season that, okay, we got COVID starting to happen, so we may not get to film everything, so let's not do a big story arc. The only thing I have in reaction to your Stephen Jackson um, or Peter Jackson um, analogy is the expanse of your fantasy and dream <laughs> world astounds me sometimes he said he would do it for a dalek <laughs> 10 years ago yeah and <laughs> the standing he offer he doesn't live in new zealand does he couldn't he just come to wherever they are I think that was the other part of the deal is that they, they had to go to him, but I, I don't, <laughs> it's not, not sure like he lives true. in middle earth, Glenn. He's, he's available <laughs> and think, think of the ratings. Think of coming back to the BBC and saying, look, you know, you're going to market this as directed by Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson. I mean, come on. I give him a Christmas special if it's me. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to knock them strictly come dancing folk right off their pedestal. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and the the Radio Times presumes that the series will probably return in the autumn of 2021. And that's kind of, I think, reading between the lines a little bit on this, uh, all this news is the fact that, you know, they say expected. They, They could be hedging their bets that, you know, they might make met less, but the way they phrase it, it's also, why wouldn't they just say we're beginning production on the season and when we're done with it, we're done with it, no matter how long it takes. It makes it seem like they have a deadline of when they need to be done so it can be on the air by a certain time. Well, yeah, and this isn't out of character either because they have started around this time in the past for autumn releases as well. So, Yeah. I would say it's a safe bet just from the, you know, if they're just now getting around to filming – I don't see it happening that we're going to get a March episode. You yeah. know what I mean? It's yeah. just, Oh yeah. No, no, no I wouldn't. I, in fact, I, I was a little surprised by, well, I guess maybe not autumn. Autumn could be anywhere up until November. So, or even mid December. Uh, but I was thinking autumn was, was earlier than I had sort of expected, especially since they hadn't started shooting, but autumn is probably right around because October is probably a, uh, achievable goal for them. For, especially I'm going to say Easter episodes. Saturday in September. <laughs> <laughs> Halloween Sunday. Oh, there you go. I'm all right with that. That's a good one. What else we got? Echoes of Extinction has been delayed. Which, if you don't because know. Because of is, COVID. This is the uh, Time Lord Victorious um, edition that's uh, the uh, two-sided vinyl that... Uh, Big Finish is doing in um, collaboration with Demon Records and ASDA, and they're they're pressing that on a uh, two sided vinyl with the Doctor. Uh, I think the Eighth Doctor on one side and the Tenth Doctor on the other side, and they have said due to UK restrictions imposed by the Corona ban- uh, uh, coronavirus pandemic. Um, in agreements with BBC and Big Finish, they've decided to postpone the release. Um, the limited edition vinyl LP adventure was originally due to be in selected ASDA stores from uh, November 27th of this year with a digital download from Big Finish uh, on the website about a week afterwards. 
They say in light of UK government advice against the sale of non-essential items, the release date has now been scheduled till early February. And if anybody's wondering why Big Finish wouldn't go ahead and release this uh, a week after that 27th date anyway, I think they, they've got an agreement, obviously, with uh, Demon Records ASDA uh, because it was a exclusive to them. And so in order to, you know, the, to follow the agreement with that, the digital download obviously is being delayed as well because ASD, this would have been their, you know, their, this is their inclusion. Big Finish has a lot of opportunities um, as far as yeah. including uh, Timeler Victorious. And in fact, they've already, you know, got some in there. Um, so this gives ASDA a chance to have, you know, first dibs essentially before, uh, it gets released on download, so I, which I, I completely agree with, and I, I think that's appropriate because you know everybody, everybody's put a lot of work into this big crossover event, and I think everybody deserves to reap the rewards as well. I agree, indeed. There is some good news out of um, Big Finish, though, Keith. This is right up your alley. I still haven't listened to the first volume, so I don't know if it is yet. I don't know if he does a good enough job. <laughs> It's the Doctor Chronicles 11th Doctor Volume 2 is coming out September 2021. Uh, where the 11th Doctor is played by Jacob Dudman. Dudman, right? I think that's right, yeah. Or Dude. I need to listen to Volume 1. <laughs> I'm not sure we, how I feel about it, you know. These uh, big finish adventures where the Doctor isn't played by the main actor, I'm sometimes on the fence on. I, I say boo to this news. <laughs> Why is that? Building off of the conversation that uh, we had over in the uh, in the Facebook group, I, I, I say boo to this. Uh. I think if it is an actor that has passed and we need to recast in order to tell a story, okay. If it is an actor that uh, is still tied up under contract with uh, the BBC, okay. I lean more on the side of perhaps we should wait to tell this story but I can understand recasting. If it's an actor who just flatly refuses to return to the role, okay, I put my fan disappointment aside, and I can be in favor of recasting. If it's an actor we just haven't gotten around to yet, uh, uh, Well, I think I've, I've always sort of been okay when I thought these were framed around the more of an audio story rather than an audio drama. Um, where it's more. being presented in the sense, well, that's what I wonder about, though, because these are now, now that I read these, it's full cast audio dramas, how they're billed, which to me, a full cast audio drama is a lot like the big finish that we get from the classic doctors, where it, there's there's not a lot of narration in between. I've always felt that if they frame these around somebody telling a story, and even if they portray the doctor in a way that, you know, emulates them then I'm okay with it but and and it's really hard for me to to judge either of these box sets because I have I'm the same way I haven't listened to the first one as well but if they are presented in such a way where they are full cast audio dramas and they're and it, it's it's you know doesn't have that linking narration of of you know telling a story with actors providing the dialogue then yeah I may so I, I kind of have a problem with that as well a little bit I think I listened to the first Ninth Doctor one, and there was linking narration and one other co-star per story. And I think that's how these are. This one's going to be done too, because there's only one, uh, four other 
people in the stories. And there are four stories in that box set. And there are four stories. So typically that's one other actor per box set. So it's a bit more like a companion chronicle. See, where and, I'm, it's and I'm okay with that. character narrating that. I'm okay with that because the, the, I think the command, the companion chronicles are, are, are done very well. And now you, you give the companion chronicles a pe- pass because often and not always, but often they're the companion themselves and the actor or actress that has, that played them in the past doing those. And so when they're doing the performance of, other characters that are familiar you kind of give them a pass because it's like telling from that character's perspective but when it's coming from another character's perspective or another actor portraying a different character from a different perspective then yeah that kind of gets a little muddled but well and that's the difference between the chronicles versus the the tenth doctor chronicles versus the tenth doctor adventures yeah exactly and that's the same thing for when the ninth doctor comes and does his box set it'll be the ninth doctor adventures right the ninth doctor chronicles so it is slightly different and that's what i've always made to know how well good of a job he does (laughs) i i'm actually the guy who did ninth doctor i wasn't overly impressed by so here's the thing though if if it is being presented to me as an audio book per se or an audio telling and they don't get the doctor dead on I'm very much forgiving of it. It doesn't matter to me that they don't sound exactly like them as long as they put forth a great effort. If they are, like, let's say Tim Trelor was not a even passable or adequate third doctor, that would bother me. But fortunately for us, he is. He actually does a very good job as the uh, as the third doctor. Did I say fourth doctor? I meant third doctor. So I'm okay with him portraying the third doctor in those audios, especially since the da- the actors passed. So, well, and that's an odd situation where it started as linking narration yeah. from him yeah. and moved away from that, where it was just more a full blown audio drama. Right. We'll see. Time will tell. I guess. And big finish, we trust. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> It looks like that's the end of the news. Well, shall we move on to our review? The Wintertime Paradox. Did you know that Davros and the Doctor met for three Christmases on different planets across time and space? Have you heard the one about the time the Plasma Wars came to pay a festive visit where Madame Vastra fought a cyborg? A perfect collection for the bleakest and sometimes brightest time of year. These are the tales to get you halfway out of the dark. This thrilling anthology presents a fantastic collection of adventures through time and space, featuring the best-loved characters and places from the Doctor Who world. Bum, bum, bum! <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would agree. I really, I'm, I'm glad you. I'm so glad to hear that because I, I really enjoyed this book. Um, that I think what I like the best about it is that it is an anthology piece, and even though they're all written by the same author, David Rudden. Um, or Dave Rudden, I think that that helps with the consistency of the style of writing. I think it works really good. There are some stories in this collection that are better than others, um, and we should flag the spoiler warning here. There's probably going to be some spoilery information on this, so if you haven't read the book, we highly recommend that you do. So I don't imagine we'll you know do any super major spoilers, but just be warned that there's a good chance that we may spoil something for you but um as i was saying though i think that the the there are a lot of great 
ideas in a lot of these stories. So should we step through them one by one? What's what over just speaking on the book overall, what's impressive is the fact that yes, it's the same author throughout all of it. And while the tone remains the same throughout, each story has its own unique voice and almost feels like it's written by somebody else. That I agree with. I because was reminded it, not so much as the, um, uh, when we did the, uh, for the 50th anniversary, the little eBooks that uh, were done for each doctor, each one by a different author, just in that those all had kind of a different flavor to them that each author brought to the, the, the table with the way their stories were told. And even though there's definitely a uh, concurrent thread of familiarity that runs throughout these, I still feel like with each story that was told, there was a slightly different style at work that kind mm -hmm. of molded itself to each particular set of circumstances. I would agree, and I think what helps that is that they don't, while, while a lot of the stories feature the Doctor, the Doctor isn't the main lead in many of these, and they're, they're told from different perspectives. Um, you've got companions that play a greater role in a couple of the stories. Um, you, play, you have uh, a few stories that just don't have the Doctor at all in them. And then you have some stories that, that do and some stories that, you know, come from the more of the angular perspective of the of the uh, villains or the bad guys. And mm -hmm. so I think it because the, the stories are framed in such a way that there's a little different. There's a bend on the perspective. I think that's what gives them all sort of a different feel and a different style in the storytelling. But I, I think the writing is very consistent as far as how well they're written. But I agree. I think each one of them almost has its own flavor or tone. Well, should we step through these one by one and maybe just talk a little about, about each one? There are 12 stories total. Yes. Uh, first one is uh, He's Behind You, and this one features Rose and the Tenth Doctor. What'd I you really enjoyed this one. I thought this was a great way to kick off the story It was or the anthology. It was fun. It was full of adventure and just bit of a hoots just to read through it all i think it is it's a good way to start because it has a, a because like you say it's it's a more of a fun upbeat story um there's not a i mean there's a lot of action and peril in it but uh there's also a lot of humorous moments especially setting up uh rose to be <laughs> the one that's mistaken as the time lord export expert for this uh play christmas play that, or I'm sorry for this play, this uh, history of the Time Lords uh, performance that's being put on. Um, I thought that was really kind of funny uh, to put that in that situation. And just the idea that somewhere in the galaxy there's a panto happening about the Time Lords, I think is <laughs> and and not quite getting it exactly funny. right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> who could? I mean, no one could really get it truly right anyway. So it's, I'm sure they're taking great liberties with it. Right. I think tr Rose is treated really well in this too, of giving her the, I mean, because it puts her in the lead of this story and it puts her in more of the hero status. Now the 10th the doctor does come in, help save the day. Um, but you know, it, it's almost a little comical in the sense that the story is framed around the idea that Rose was in a school play 
and forgot her lines. And she's like been traumatized by this all of her life. And then she gets put in a situation where she has to take to the stage and do this performance. And it's almost this, what are these kind of stories where it's like a, it's not a self-fulfilled prophecy, but it's like a, Oh, help me out here. It's a, it's a, um, there, there's stories where you put the, the, the they kind of book in them in these situations where you have to overcome something. That's what it is. You kind of have to overcome something yeah. in your past. It's a little bit of the uh, you know the man who's convinced he's going to die tomorrow will probably find a way to make it happen. It's not necessarily yes. a yes. Uh, a paradox because when you say that, obviously, and we're dealing with Doctor Who. Well, that's one thing. <laughs> um, it's a completely different situation. But but uh, but but certainly a, a, a large amount of foreshadowing with the previous sto- uh, uh, backstory of yeah. of what happened to Rose is now going to come into play. Right. Right. And this is one that uh, yeah, there's so much to like here. Um, the the kind of ridiculousness of the panto itself, and 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 just automatically says, okay, this is going to be a farce. Um, the return of Autons. And uh, who, in and of themselves, can be a rather comical villain. Um, we've got Rose and the Tenth Doctor. We've got this phenomenal theater that uh, I just kind of had the images of the opera from uh, uh, Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, I sort of had that idea, but maybe epic. even bigger than that. Yeah, I mean, planet-wide stuff, and 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 there, there's so many little nifty, cool things to to like in this. And as it, uh, as it went, um, something was souring me on it and I couldn't, I, I couldn't quite put my finger on what it was because there's a lot to like here and I almost hate to, to even mention it, but I, I think it was because it was Rose. <laughs> oh, of course. And I, See, I, I don't want to be that guy. I really genuinely don't. I know you guys are going to pull out the, eye. Uh, you're just poking it with a stick because you can. And it's like, no, that, that, I, I don't want to be that. Well, it Sean, made sense normally, that it had to be Rose because of the, the Auton connection. You know, you needed somebody familiar with them. Yeah, well, I think that's why it works for Rose because she's already had um, a run-in with the Auton, so she's familiar enough with them. Normally I'm I'm right with you, Sean, but I enjoyed I actually did enjoy Rose in this one. I liked kind of the inner dialogue of her not being too sure about the Tenth Doctor still because we didn't get yeah. a lot of that on the show itself. She pretty much grabbed his hand and ran and we didn't see her doubts anything uh after that so i liked seeing that and seeing her being a little unsure still about it so i thought the barcelona clip that was that was about it yeah it wasn't even uh that was red nose day or something i don't remember what clip that was uh what day it was for but i also think i also think this keeps rose in check as far as what she's capable of doing especially at this time um, this isn't, you know, end of series, what was it, four, where she's the gun-toting, you know, <laughs> Dalek killer. Um, but it, it, it's really in perspective of her, and, and it's it's limiting in such, you know, it's it's within her scope, I think, of, of where she is as a character at this point. So I think that's why this works really well for her. I also... She's much more in line with the season one Rose yes. than she is season two Rose. Well, yeah. or early season two Rose, but as Very you said, early. not quite used yeah. to, you know, the 10th Doctor yet. 
And the two of them aren't so cocky and so self-sure of themselves. Right, right. We aren't, uh, what is it, idiot? by the time we get to Idiot's Lantern, we're, we're very much in that zone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I also like the fact that these Autons have been doing these roles for so long that they've gotten lost in the part. <laughs> I thought that's that's kind of an interesting take on the Autons that I don't think has ever been. Uh, uh, well, it's a, it's a nice call forward to uh, Pandorica. Oh yeah, with uh, well and and Rory especially not knowing being yeah. in that that role for so long. That's a good point. It's a good one overall. I, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think it's a good way to start this collection of series as well. Well, so let's do yeah. the next one, and that is uh, probably my favorite. Uh, one of my favorites, <laughs> as you could probably tell why. How come I'm not surprised? Uh, Father of the Daleks, which uh, has um, the 11th Doctor facing off with Davros. What'd you guys think of this one? Uh, it rocked really hard, mainly because, um, well, we've not had the 11th Doctor and Davros together. That was we kind of managed to skip that in the in the series, so it was it was mm-hmm. cool to finally get that meeting. And I, as nutty of an idea as it is, uh, especially considering where we go with um, the magician's apprentice uh, two-parter, I really like the idea of Davros and the Doctor kind of calling a timeout. And just sitting down, you know, that Davros is invited to tea on Planet <laughs> X on Christmas Day, and he doesn't get it. And the Doctor continues to do it. And in fact, I, I was, I, I'm a little disappointed by that synopsis to hear that there were only three. <laughs> I kind of like the idea that this is just a repeated, even more of them, you know, annual thing. And Davros goes, and every time he goes, he thinks to himself, why am I doing this? Because I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna learn anything. I'm not gonna get better. I'm not gonna do this. But he continues to go, mm-hmm. and, and, and in spite of himself, I really liked that dynamic. And having it be the eleventh Doctor is the perfect Doctor to do that sort of situation. Yeah, especially on Christmas. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. In fact, it's kind of echoes. And I don't think any of us were wowed by this, but uh, Nightmare in Silver was that the one where he's being taken over or or the they're they're trying to cyber convert him and he's basically mm-hmm, playing yeah. the chess game with in his head with the controller this is kind of that same i got that kind of same vibe from the 11th doctor in this one that he's playing this game of chess with davros but not necessarily in such a, a way that it's manipulation or it's trying to move pieces around it's really trying to convince davros that you know his creation are never going to love him like a father and so there is no return on the reward for having created these Daleks. And if you could simply introduce genetics that would give them sympathy or change their, you know, ultimate destructive ways, you know, things could be better and perhaps they would appreciate Davros. But he refuses to do so. And in fact, so much so that every time that the doctor meets with him, it it's almost makes Davros more steadfast in uh breeding out the the any sort of um emotion or any sort of 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 good in these daleks and it's almost as though the doctor drives davros to you know or drives the 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 daleks to be 
each time even more ruthless because every time they're thwarted by the doctor. And so I think that there's this neat progression of the more the 11th doctor or the more the doctor, you know, uh, pleads with Davros to change the Daleks, the worse things get. And I think it's almost inadvertently happening. And I think I saw somewhere, and I didn't read the whole article, but Screen Rant was kind of going down the same lines. And I think they were implying that this might have been the crux for what starts the time war, war, time war. Not you know, obviously it's been said that um, Genesis of the Daleks, the uh, events that happened there were kind of the vo- first volley in the war, but um, I think they were implying that this is almost what drives the ultimate battle, and that the the Doctor doesn't necessarily know that he's this these interventions are leading to that event, which I thought was an interesting hmm. concept. Yeah, it's very much, you know, you mentioned chess and this would not be the seventh doctor playing chess, uh, attempting to position Davros. It's very much more X-Men. It's Xavier and Magneto meeting for a quote unquote friendly game while they talk about the fact that they are on, you know, polar opposite sides of each other on this issue and that camaraderie. I almost hesitate to use that word, but it, it is. It's there. There's, there's a uh, a strange respect uh, for each other um, that, uh, despite the fact that Davros is, of course, you know, insane. Yeah, <laughs> he he is quite brilliant for all of his uh, for all of his defects, and uh, for as infuriating as the Doctor uh, can be, Davros recognizes that. Uh, the man is uh, an equal. He would never, ever, ever say superior. But right, he, right. Would, he would certainly look at him as almost an equal. Right. And just, uh, just the very quiet nature of these little conversations in 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 cafes and tea shops and and things that really spoke. That that to me was kind of like this is the perfect Doctor Who Christmas story. Yeah. Almost that yeah. it's not a big war. It's yeah. not a let's save the planet. It's not the Time Lords are coming back from a crack. It's 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 just Christmas, and and I'm here to to, to soak it up, and that 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 was really cool. Now I think the story suffered just a little bit from editing, um, because the transitions between those three Christmases and the overarching event, um, which of course we have to have a war because it's a Doctor Who story at Christmas time. <laughs> Because there's Daleks and there has and, to be and there's Daleks. I mean, you know, Daleks going to do what Daleks going to do. Um, the the transitions between those back and forth were a little jarring. It See, felt like as each time as we stepped back into one of them. But. I think that's what I liked about it because I thought they were threaded in really well in the sense really? that yeah, because I think once you sort of by the time you sort of get into the groove of what's happening between the two in these conversations, we slip into events or consequences or results of what has earlier been st- discussed. So I thought they were kind of weaved together. Very well. I think the other thing that I really like about this is the, 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 the doctor is very effective in driving his point, especially that last point where he <laughs> makes the deal with the Daleks that, you know, okay, you can kill me, but you got to kill Davros as well. 
And so I think he's very effective in how he communicates to Davros what the problem is and why, you know, pleads for him, or doesn't plead, but at least employs him to make that change in the Daleks and his children. And Davros still steadfastly refuses to do so. And I think that was what was really cool about it is there's this dynamic between these two guys that is always going to be them butting heads, but also having this respectful uh, relationship. What I kind of liked about the linking of them together, it felt a little bit like there was the same conversation every time, but we're picking it up at different points. Yeah. Yeah, and I wonder if that was purposeful so that we had you have that, is this a linear conversation or is this because, in fact, it's almost like the conversation is there's a redundancy to it because... Well, it feels like they're having the same argument over and over. Right, exactly. It's it's like they, 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 nothing is ever resolved and we have basically the same argument with different context each time. Which is totally in character for the two of them. They would keep having the same argument until, you know, the doctor tricks the Daleks into what he did at the end. That's true. <laughs> I also enjoyed the call back to the fourth doctor and not only the, the virus conversation, which of course is, you know, it's the pinnacle of Doctor Who right there. Uh, right. But right. The, the, the follow up <laughs> episode where it's like, I seem to remember you turning my. <laughs> life support systems off <laughs> it's like that, that that's that, it's, it's one more illustration as to why it had to be the 11th doctor it had to be the childlike full of hope doctor yes yes because the yes. fourth doctor would not invite davros to tea the seventh doctor would not invite davros to tea and while the 12th doctor would go to davros he wouldn't invite davros anywhere right yeah <laughs> Well, let's move on to the next one, Inflicting Christmas. And this one featured the 12th Doctor and Bill. Keith, you want to start this uh-huh. one? I'm a little blurry on this one. I don't remember. This, this is one the well. one where the, g- the, the the genius woman who has the corporation, I think it's, um, oh, I don't remember what her little corporation Oh, the hard light is. memories. Yeah, yeah. And her son is. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the holodeck, basically, <laughs> the holodeck yeah. Well, it, it, it's it's the um, it's it's a mother and son conflict. The mother who's so enwrapped in her business and and her you know her career and her day to day life uh, as a businesswoman, and she's in a, and she's effectively ignoring her son so much so that her son you know lashes out by taking control of this device that that projects uh, memories and images that's, you know, she's intended to be used for good. And he has inadvertently warped the perspective of his memories because of the way he's been treated. And I thought it was, it's not a new story in, in, by any Mm -hmm. means, it's very much a, a trope of, of its design, but I thought it was well done and crafted in such a way that it gives, again, it gives the companion a chance to be brought to the forefront and be the one to kind of uh, at least, while I don't think either of them could have done it without 
the doctor, or even in this case, without um, what was the character's name? I can't remember the lady's name. Um, without her, you know, intervening, but it gives them a chance to have, you know, build on their character and give them a chance to kind of shine for a little while in these stories. Uh, her confronting the the child and and having these discussions about, you know, this isn't how, you know, this isn't how she is. This is only a perception of how you're memories are, are warping your perspective of your mom and I I think it was really good it was it was a really enjoyable story not the best one in the book but I, I thoroughly enjoyed it it felt very much like a 12th doctor and Bill story and Bill's voice was just spot on um, made me wish we had more Bill stories uh, than what we got and it also it, 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 it kind of clicks along it's kind of your standard story it's what you there's no big revelations that happen in it. However, the ending isn't a happy ending. It's no, right. n- not everything's all sunshine and roses at the end of it. They're still dealing with things and nothing's really, they've d- discussed their issues, but they haven't solved their issues. And that's what makes this story good. It's a, it's a doctor Who story that ends with reality. And that's for the most part, fairly rare. Um, but it's a, something that the 12th doctor's era had a little bit more of than others. So I yeah. thought that was what made this story so good. It does fit in line and it ends with, it doesn't end with a resolution, but it does end with a hope that they're on the path for that. And yes, I think that's done exactly. Well. It also in a way makes it the perfect 12th doctor story. He's because, all about hope. Yeah. Well, he's all about hope, but he's also, um, being the, 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 the grumpy realist that he is, uh, a lot of that era's stories were not as fairy tale, uh, you know, they, they weren't the Stephen Moffat fairy tale types. They were right. a little more grounded. They were a little more realistic and they were a little more dark. They were a little more, we, we fixed it, but we didn't exactly get a happy ending out of it. Right. Well, 12 yeah. was, 12 was always sort of the cynical doctor. He was always sort of the one that, while I think he knew that there was hope, he was always also very grounded in reality and making you very aware that, you know, life wasn't a fairy tale, that, that bad things did happen occasionally. All right, well, let's move on to the next one, which is for the girl who has everything. And this featured Osgood. And then, of course, Kate Stewart later. But <laughs> <laughs> And this might be my favorite one in the book. <laughs> <laughs> I like this one a lot, too. Well, Sean, you what start cool off since this is it. one of your favorites. Um, with, with the opening uh, of you know getting a little bit more of Unit and and hey, it's Osgood and kind of trying to figure out exactly where in her timeline it's placed, only to go, oh, it's you know she's a week into the job or whatever, a month in, she she's very very fresh and new. Uh, I was very excited about the uh, the, the the spatial engineering of uh, of the Gray Archive. That was such a nifty thing, and I, I was a little surprised that we didn't get a name drop with the Doctor helping out with that. Mm, yeah. Not that he necessarily would have given them that, but you know, <laughs> uh, well, I, I, I guess I think that's why it doesn't work so well. Yeah, that's why it becomes an issue is because the Doctor didn't help them. Yeah, and it is they tried unit. to do it on their own. It is unit. They're going to take these things that they have confiscated. It's not so much like Torchwood, but it's you know, unit's going to take these things that they've confiscated. That's alien tech, and they're going to try to utilize it or weaponize it or use it as security. And I agree. I just think it's it's not going to work exactly right because if they had gone to the Doctor and he'd had a hand in it, 
that it would work right, but it doesn't, they don't quite have it. And I like that. And, um, then, you know, the idea that something has gotten loose. Okay. Yeah. You have my attention. This is great. I'm, I'm so excited. And the way that Osgood handles herself, because this isn't self-assured facing down a Zygon Osgood, this is very green, fresh to the, the, you know, uh, the idea of this Osgood. I liked the, the little insights into her family and her dad and how she thought he might handle things of this nature. And, um, there was, there was just so much greatness there and, uh, a nice, uh, callback to, um, uh, stratagem yeah. with the, mm-hmm. the, the cloning pod being responsible for this. Uh, and ultimately the villain, uh, of that episode being kind of pressed back into service in a way. Yeah. Uh, was very cool, but nothing got a bigger squee out of me than rummaging through a box and finding this scarf <laughs> Yeah, and thinking nothing of it. And she wraps it around herself and then, uh, you know, to, to stem the bleeding from this wound. And then instead of cutting it off like a bandaid, puts the rest of it around her neck and it, it suddenly becomes who Osgood is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was just, <gasps> yes, I, I don't know why that, that got the biggest fan moment of excitement out of me. Well, it makes the scarf that she wears in the future, a little less fan service and gives it more meaning to it. Yeah. Yes. It's I just, w- it's, it's now part of the uniform, you know, yeah, the, yeah. even, even though it changes later to the bow tie, but, uh, it, or the question marks. Osgood's changed her look several times since then, but uh, yeah. the, the the scarf now has a. It's not just a. Uh, aren't you clever? No, it's it, it serves. It serves a purpose for being there. I think also what I liked about it is it's early Osgood. It's Osgood as she's just yeah. joined Unit or is or is in very early days of of Unit. Um, I think I like that it's a story that introduces us to why she becomes uh, basically uh, a second to Kate Stewart. Um, I think it's a admirable way uh, for her to be rewarded and promoted to that position. I also like the fact that they, this story cements the idea that her father isn't Tom Osgood, who we've always presumed, and I think Stephen Moffat even has has previously previously hinted towards that. But that her father, even though they're an old unit family, that her father's Frank Osgood, which we can only presume is maybe a brother or relation to Tom Osgood. So I thought that was interesting that they didn't make that that, that David Redden didn't make that direct connection with Tom Osgood from uh, the unit days in uh, the Pertwee era, but that her father was sort of this, you know, not really a military type guy. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. It didn't take much to stretch my headcanon into Uncle Osgood. Yeah, so I kind of thought the same to. thing, too. I also like that she has... The a, way it was also made it sound like it was more than him that was part of the unit family. Yes. No, I agree. I agree. I also like that she... I, I didn't know this, that she's got a sister who's uh, kind of one of those <laughs> useless people that latch on to everything that their siblings do in order to take credit for something. I, that was, that yeah, was, that was neat. 
I love the exploring of other parts of unit that we hadn't seen before. I think that's really cool. Yeah. And mention of different archives, blue and red archive. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to the next story, which is visiting hours. Yes. Visiting hours. And this is river and Rory. I, I, I want to point out before we get too far, because I think this is another one of the stories there is a ongoing thread in this and each story. And I believe it was the first oh. story with Rose and 10. Um, there's always an after and the after is always these two characters that are, that are, are thread through this. And this happens to be, I think a second one that we don't, we don't get the siblings, but it, well, we do because uh, this, the psychiatrist guy is going to give, them information about river song so i suppose that is in this one as well but i wanted to point out that there is a ongoing thread throughout these uh stories as we go and this happens to be one of them that ties directly to that thread what'd you guys think of this one keith you should start on this one this is your era this is one i I just had a lot of fun reading um (laughs) the idea of rory taking christmas dinner to river and not being uh, uh, on appearances not being very happy about it yeah. and then seeing their dynamics you never really got a lot of river and rory together alone um so seeing them trying to kind of work through it and then playing the psychiatrist making him think that you know they were having this big conflict in order to to trick him because he was behind it all i thought was very well done and i didn't fully see coming i was actually kind of caught by surprise by that so I agree. Overall, I, I have high marks for this one. I agree. I think that's what I like the best about it is that it, it really bamboozled me. And I thought it was a story in conflict between father and daughter and how Rory regrets the fact that she's not around. She, they, you know, he regrets the fact. And I think that he, he sort hates of, the fact that she's in prison. Yeah. And I think that he sort of still I think it's I think that's echoes of truth. But. To realize that they are both still on the same page and they are working in tandem in order to thwart this psychiatrist, I think works really well. And so I, yeah. I, 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 I liked that they sent me down that path of, oh wow, they're really having family issues here, only to turn it and say, you know, oh, did you really think that we we, we were going to give you this information? And and I, I thought that was, I thought that was good because I was caught off guard by it as well. And the exploration of, yeah, they, there is family issues there still, even though it didn't let them lose the day. They, they still had the issues that yeah. they're still trying to work through a little bit because, you know, while Rory doesn't think she should be there, she still has to be. And him having guilt of not being there for her growing up and all that, that stuff it is very well thought through and uh, kind of hashed out a little bit. But another story where they don't truly give everything's roses at the end of it. Yeah. They defeat the psychiatrist, but some of these issues between river and Rory still linger. Right. But it, and it's also, it's glaringly obvious too, that because Amy can't be there, there is an element missing too. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead, Sean. No, it also, um, as if Rory wasn't cool enough, um, you know, it, it, it kind of creates this, um, additional edge to Rory that he, he he doesn't get to show frequently enough the you know rory the nurse rory the um the, the the caregiver rory the glue that's trying to hold people together 
uh, Rory the slightly always behind the, the, the circumstances as they unfold. And a lot of that has to do just simply because, well, Amy's there. And Amy is such a rar, you know, uh, she, she was, she was born to be a companion and we won't say anything about her being warped from an early age by it, but, uh, you know, <laughs> she, 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 was very much born and bred and, 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 and prepped for, for a role running throughout the universe. And Rory kind of does his best to catch up. And occasionally it's nice to be reminded that, well, yes, that's true. And a lot of that is because Rory, uh, in a submissive default to Amy position, that that's just kind of, uh, you know, that's the way his switch is flipped. But we sometimes can forget that Rory destroyed the, 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 the cyber fleet and delivered the message yeah. of, would you like me to repeat the question? Mm -hmm. We sometimes forget that Rory was a Roman centurion, uh, you know, the, the lone centurion for 2000 years. And that he is quite adept with a broadsword because he'd have to be. Uh, and so to get those kinds of moments where as they're, they're going one, almost it would have expected river to take front and center on this story. Once she was introduced, but it's not, it's still from Rory's point of view. It's still Rory's story. And as they're, they're, you know, bickering with each other and fighting things. And then he charges into the room mm -hmm. <laughs> where the, uh, the, the, the bad guy is at the end. Uh, you know, there was just a lot of great moments there for this character, which, which kind of made me realize, man, do I miss Rory? Yeah. <laughs> right. It, it does, it does a lot for the growth of his character because it shows those two sides that you illustrated very nicely and they're in tandem side by side through this whole story. The man who punched out Hitler and put him in a cupboard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and let's move on. And and as we said, the the after on this one is, um, uh, well, the intention was to give these kids information on River, although I don't think that they got it. Uh, the next one is, uh, we will feed you to the trees, which features the seventh Doctor. Which this is our first classic series Doctor, and I think the only one. TARDIS Wiki says... No, there's definitely one more after this one. Is there? Okay, I couldn't remember for sure. TARDIS Wiki says there's two more. Oh, okay. Well, this is the one where the Doctor... We start out with the Doctor being um, a prisoner of uh, this girl who we don't know who she is yet. And she he's being led away from town um, uh, through the crowd of of prying eyes uh into uh the edge of the city and then out into a forest area and the doctor is questioning her to find out what exactly is going on what'd you guys think of this story my initial thought was worry i i i was uh, very concerned that this in uh, some weird way was going to be reminiscent of uh, Forest of the Night. Was that the name of that one? What? what, what you'll the have Twelfth Doctor one? The, oh, the, the, oh, where the planet uh, with the solar yeah. flares. And, yeah, yeah. The really cool idea that just did not work at all. <laughs> um, 
and I don't know why, just the fact that there's trees in it shouldn't be enough to make me make that connection. But I was suddenly like, oh God, it's the trees. See, I was worried they were going to go more the doctor, the widow, the wardrobe. That was my second thought. <laughs> and, uh, it was like, you know, neither one of those needed a, a, a return. I mean, I guess maybe you could write something that would fix it and that would be kind of cool, but you know, just, I don't need to go back there. And instead, um, we kind of got a, um, it was almost more girl in the fireplace with yeah, the, exactly. the ultimate resolution of what was going on and what happened and how the mm-hmm. doctor, you know, uh, fixed it, which was very cool. Uh, I, I liked that idea. Apparently I liked that idea a lot since they've done it a couple of times and I always seem to enjoy those. <laughs> But uh, the idea that this terraforming uh, machine has kind of gotten a little wonky and the the settlers have regressed in a way to a point where we're we're into the superstitious element of it and it's become a a religion and we're going to sacrifice somebody to the machine as opposed, you know, for service. that was just it was, it was a very cool idea, and I I, I kind of liked the fact that it was a, there was a lot of build up for what ultimately was a red herring. Yeah, yeah, I think that and I like the mystery of it surrounding it, and and you're led to believe that there there's something in the forest that they're actually feeding these people to the forest to the to nature, and it's not revealed that it's a machine until much later, and I I thought that was pretty cool. Um, I also like it's it's mostly in everybody lives story as well yeah. because when we find out what has happened to all these people that have been quote unquote fed to the forest uh when we find out that they're they're basically performing a service maybe not uh consciously doing so but they're performing a service because the the machinery and and the forest the the terraforming requires it i thought that was an, a neat resolution to it as well well, and it's not even just everybody lives, but they none of them have aged. Yeah, All the ones that yeah. they got sent away are still the same age they were when they got sent away. They've been preserved. So, right. I mean, there's some bittersweetness to that, but it's kind of also a neat added element to not just everyone's alive. Everyone's been preserved and okay. They're not going to come back ancient and decrepit or anything like that. That's Although it did bring up a, to mind a, okay, so I know we're not going to get this, but... What happens tomorrow? Yeah. yeah. What happens when you go well, back obviously. into the village with all these people who were given up <laughs> and fed to the forest and they are now coming back and they still have their youth and they're like, you, well, you fed uh, me to the trees. Maybe I misread this, but it also made it sound like that they, that they, it still had to be a yearly thing and they wouldn't all be able to go back at once that it was going to be a slow progression of people going back. Did I, did I maybe read something more into that? I, I just read it as it needed one. So the okay, so one just one person the doctor stayed. back okay. is the one who stayed. I got you. And only for a year. Right. Uh, I like that she's yeah. able to be uh, reunited with her wife too. I thought that was neat. Yeah. I, I thought it was a good seventh doctor story. I think it's tailored to the seventh doctor because I mm-hmm. think the seventh doctor is always one of those incarnations that I've always felt is thinking about seven moves ahead. 
and it's tailored well to him because it's almost like he's got it worked out before not you know he doesn't quite let you know that he's got it worked out but he's just on the verge of having worked out the dilemma or the puzzle or what's going on here right before he's put in peril and i think that frequently happens to the seventh doctor and i think that it works really well for his doctor because he's just almost there he's almost sussed out exactly what is happening in this situation before something happens and confirms his suspicions, which I think really works really well as well. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to Christmas with the Plazavores. <laughs> and this one does not, it does feature a doctor, I suppose. Oh, I did not. I, okay. So I did not think now that I'm looking at the wiki, I did not think this was the fourth doctor that shows up. Why did I, I not get that? I didn't pick up on that either until I looked at the wiki. I just got it's a doctor. Yeah, <laughs> it was very generic. Oh, in my there, there wasn't there there wasn't enough of him other than he was young, bursting in the door. Yeah, and then stopped. Did I miss something? Well, that's not descriptive enough. It could have been any <laughs> of them. Well, I think maybe had I known Fourth Doctor that it was a Fourth Doctor, I might have not. Obviously, the words wouldn't have changed, but I might have read it differently in my mind in his voice, and maybe it would have been different so i kind of wish i'd have known that but this is about uh catherine sullivan and her father who have recently left left lost their mother um are, are on hard times and money is very tight and amelia plazavor and her presumed mother and father show up at the door one winter night and um, christmas eve yeah christmas eve and are invited in out of the cold and um <laughs> We we proceed to find out that um, this uh, Amelia Plazavor is actually an alien that um, drinks blood, and she's going to take over basically Catherine's family family life. I think it's it was funny that she's this little like uh, prissy little prima donna, and that <laughs> she's ended up landing at this house, or or she, you know life is or such as it is, she's ended up at this place where she's she's very disappointed that Catherine, you know, doesn't have, you know, fun, girly little things that she's, you know, obsessed with books on war and superstition and things like that. Uh, so I think it, it, it's kind of funny that it progresses in, in such a way that it's almost like it's not quite working out how Catherine implied, but she's going to make the best of it anyway. Or not Catherine, Amelia implied, uh, uh, you know, preferred, but she's going to make the best of it anyway. Well, it kind of fits in line with the characterization of the plasmavore in um smith and jones yeah it was kind of a very deceiving uh appearance that they had on oh absolutely yeah absolutely and amazingly does a very nice job of furthering that story you know taking a a, a villain that was kind of a one-off that we didn't necessarily need a return uh, of the plasma war and yet doing something with them that while still in keeping with the character, uh, the, the nature of the beast, as it were, um, still managed to kind of do a little world building for them. And, and, and it's still a lone plasmavore. It's still got a slab. It's still, you know, there are many, many, many similarities to yeah, it. Yeah. Um, and, but I don't think that anybody looking back at Smith and Jones thinks, oh, yeah, the blood vampire, that's the way to. You know, no, everybody looks at the Jadoon. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and so, uh, just, just taking that little nugget and kind of running with it while still in, in many, many, many ways, it's exactly the same. It's a lone plasmavore coming to do the thing thwarted by salt and the doctor. Okay. <laughs> but yet it, 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 just, it was such a fun story. I think maybe because it was done through the, the, the eyes of the child. Yeah. Instead of Martha, you know, it, yeah. it, it. It, it it flipped that script just enough that it was, it felt fresh. It also flips. Well, the it was fun, but it was also heartbreaking at the same time. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was. There's a lot of mo- emotion put into this one, which I think is is done well. It also flips the script script on the ending of the doctor coming in at the nick of time and saving the day because he doesn't. He comes in after the day's been <laughs> saved by the fact yeah. that this little girl has been cutting, you know, corners and and it, her. By collecting salt and sugar packets because she knows that her family is that her and her dad are struggling financially, and her dad being proud enough to say, you know, that's not something that we do, that you know, but her having done it anyway and him knowing, and convincing the little girl to go, you know, tricking her into pulling that down onto her, uh, I thought that was a really cool way to end the the story and have the doctor come in too late at the last minute. So I thought that was neat. Yeah. But now I'm sad that it was a fourth doctor that didn't get to save the day. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose, uh, there was something in his wide, wild eyes and frantically orbiting hands. (laughs) I I suppose that's, I guess that could be, if they had something about uh, teeth and curls, it would have been. Yeah, that would have been, but maybe that would have been too obvious. I guess the, the scarf yeah. entered the room before he did. You know, just something I needed to <laughs> to nail it down. Because <laughs> the wild hands makes me also think Eleventh Doctor. Well, that's mm. what I was about to say. Yeah, and uh, Second Doctor had wild hands as well. Well, well yeah. and even his, yeah. even his, even his one, or he's got two lines. Salt he added dramatically can overload a plasmavore's circulatory system. He paused, taking in the scene. The slabs are down. Catherine could swear there was disappointment in his voice. Did I do that? I don't think I did that. Okay, that sounds Again. like that sounds like a fourth doctor. It's Knowing it's the fourth doctor, I can now hear the fourth doctor. But as Keith yeah. said, any doctor, did I do that? I don't yeah. think I did that. I think I had I could, 11 I could, in I mind. could hear 11 with that. Yeah, I think I had 11 in mind. And maybe it's just because, you know, most of these have been yeah. uh, newer series New doctors. Series, yeah. Well, let's move on to a girl called Doubt because this is the other one that I would I I knew for certain was a classic Doctor. This one features the Fifth Doctor yes. and mm-hmm. Cybermen as the enemy and a group this. of uh, a group of people that are fighting against the uh, the invasion of them. Keith, you get a start. Oh with this man, one. <laughs> I absolutely. This is probably my favorite one out of the whole book. Obviously, I'll go for um, <laughs> Getting to explore the cyber wars. I mean, how cool is this? And the, the devastation left behind of, you know, they come in, they convert, they leave. They take those that are good enough to fight with them and leave the rest behind. How cool. This needed to be more than just a short story. There's so much material to mine here to do a story. And then you have the one, the, the aspect of them unconverting a Cyberman to lead them to where they need to go. Just this resistance band doing that and her not realizing what she is. It's a, that part's a little bit, you know, Bill and the end of her run, but it's still 
done in such a well way that you don't realize it until we get to that point where she realizes it. And it's just so masterfully told and so well crafted and handled that it's they, they lay the hints of, you know, why, why she's not kind of why she has to stay away from the windows and why she gets certain looks a certain way. It's not just because she's a new recruit. It's because she's a cyberman. but you don't realize that until the revelation. It's just, Oh, this is the piece de resistance for this, this anthology. Sadly, I saw that coming though. And I think that I thought personally, I thought the hints were a little too heavy handed. And I think if they'd have been more subtle, I wouldn't have seen it. But I had in mind Bill in her uh, last story, and I also had in mind um, uh, Clara in uh, in the Dalek, uh, Osgood. Mm. Clara, yeah, not Osgood, uh, Oswald. Uh, I had Oswald Osgood. I had her in mind as well of the Dalek, not realizing that she that you know it was a Dalek. So I, I had that going into it. And while I still I think that it's developed as a very good story, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it for everything that you've said about it, Keith. I think it's well written. I like them exploring the idea of the cyber war. It's heart wrenching in a way that they've been fighting this hard and this long, only to find out that the cyber leaders have just gone you know, they've they come to a point where they feel like they might be getting the upper hand and it's like, nope, they've taken gutted the society and left. And it's almost yeah. more heart wrenching than them facing down uh, Cybermen to show up and find ones that are, you know, basically hollow shells because the cyber leaders have already left and moved on to their next conquest. So, yeah, it's it's a good story. I really liked it. I just wish it hadn't been so heavy with the um, foreshadowing. And I think maybe I wouldn't have got it as soon as I did. I guess I was reveling in the atmosphere and like the idea that they've laid down of this world and what's been happening yeah. that I didn't pay that close of attention to the foreshadowing. And, and he paints a really good picture of the devastation in yeah. this story. I'm not even sure if it was the the foreshadowing or the hints. I, I don't know that they were heavy handed per se up until, and, and I don't know, Glenn, maybe, maybe you can uh, chime in on this as well, but for me, it was where they found the Cybermen at the post office. And the, the passage is, Doubt doesn't even think. She drops her shoulder and charges. That's the Steeler has yep. just enough time to turn before she puts it through the stone wall. Yeah. That, to me, was the, uh, you know, yeah, all of a sudden, of yeah. this yeah. very carefully constructed story broke because my brain stopped and went, there's no way that you could hit a Cyberman hard enough to put it through a wall unless you yourself were some sort of conversion, uh, you know, augmented human or something. And yeah. once I thought that, then I couldn't not see all of the hints mm. that were being dropped. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's the one that cemented it for me. I think early on when they're referring to, um, sci- scientists questioning whether they could, uh, deconvert them planted the seed in my head and there was another one where she has almost a memory glitch, and I can't remember exactly where it was, that I also thought, okay, she's she's missing memories. I'm wondering if this is the case. So those two happened early on enough that it made me start thinking about them, and then it was that moment you just described, Sean, that I went, aha, okay, that's definitely what it is. Yeah. And then once I knew, then every hint that came afterwards was kind of just a reinforcement yeah. of, oh, don't, don't, 
you're, you're, <laughs> I don't want to know well, the surprise. And I'd I rather be surprised. <laughs> one of the ones that I didn't catch on to until after that moment you described was the one guy that just had almost a disdain for her. That yeah. was happening before, her. but I, yeah, I didn't see it at first. And when that happened, I thought back at that, and I thought, oh, well, that was a sign. To, even before we got to the end and, and the revelation, I thought, oh, I bet that was a sign as well that he doesn't trust her. He doesn't because she is the enemy or was once the enemy. Again, I don't want to understell, sell the story. For just, just because I figured it out early on did not understell, sell how well this story is put together and how, how emotional the story is because it is, it is still even gut-wrenching at the end when she's, it's revealed to her who she is. <clears throat> yeah, no, I agree. I really enjoyed this one and the telling of it. And as, as, as Keith said, he paints a very, very vivid picture of this devastated world. And, um, it, it feels so very, uh, uh spare parts apocalyptic, mm. yeah. you know, that we, we're, we're at the end of the society and that it really doesn't matter if they manage to, to, to reclaim the planet or not, that they're not going to make it. <laughs> Yeah, it's a little bit Walking Dead, but with Cybermen. And uh, the the most chilling line is uh, the sergeant when he says, "You think she's the first doubt I've had to put down?" Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ooh, what a double edged line that is. Mm-hmm. Well, and you all you also get the impression, you know, that that's when her name no longer has a meaning for it being her name. It's they mm-hmm. call them all doubts, and I think that was yeah. that was a neat, that was one of the things that got me a little choked up about it. Was oh gosh, this isn't they've they've stripped every bit of her identity by doing that and implying that they're all called doubt. Yeah, very much a uh, a Walking Dead. Actually, that's a very good analogy for it because the fact that they call them Steelers, yeah, which is not a, a term that we I don't think we've had for Cybermen before, but mm-hmm. it totally fits. You know, well, yeah, okay, and. Uh, so yeah, there was a lot of that world building going on there, and I agree with Keith that you know more exploration into the cyber wars would would not go amiss. Was there not a reference to them as Steelers in uh, Nightmare and Silver? I didn't. I don't think remember. So. Okay, I maybe just maybe I'm planting maybe that I'm planting that in my head from that being used in this one. Maybe I think we've had tinnies. I think we've had um... oh tinnies. Maybe is what I'm thinking of. Well, let's move on to A Perfect Christmas, which features Vastra, Jenny, and Strax, the Paternoster gang. And um, this is the one with the girl that um, they bring the coat to Vastra because they've got a pickpocket on the loose. And I think, isn't it the inspector brings her the jacket to, to kind of figure out the mystery or something to that effect? And the girl shows up to reclaim the jacket and <laughs> <laughs> I love the that Vastra's using the coat in a Sherlock-esque way to deduce the identity or the character of its wearer. And Strax pipes in with this somewhat accurate and absurd <laughs> portrayal of who might own the coat. And then she says, she Matt, Vastra's almost set back by that as, how do you know... How did you get that? You know, she's almost impressed with Strax and it's because she showed up to return it and he clunked her over the head with a frying pan <laughs> in the kitchen. I love that. That was so Strax. <laughs> if anything, this story just 
confirmed that even all these years later, I'm still ready for a Paternoster Gang show. <laughs> well, yeah, they're doing audios on Big Finish. All so. the more reason to get the Big Finish yeah, stuff exactly. on the schedule. It's not the same. I, <laughs> I, I want... I would I would settle for a Pattern Oster Gang show in just about any format, whether it was a legit Doctor Who spinoff or if it was treated as a British sitcom, complete with laugh track every time Strax walked into a room. Uh, you know, I just, yeah, I'm ready for more of this. These are such enjoyable characters. And this was a fun story. It the, was the, a fun the idea story. That I, I, I particularly appreciated the idea that they kind of um, uh, humanized Vastra in a way by talking about last Christmas and this revived Silurian princess. Uh, I'm intrigued by that story. Uh, yeah, right, I don't yeah. Why. Uh, ditto. Um, you know, made me wonder if it was a reference to the Big Finish audios. Could have been the fact that the. Uh, Vastra kind of sort of considered perhaps for a moment and that that put a strain on the relationship that she's been trying, you know, overcompensating for a year to try and make up for it. That to me was a really intriguing nugget. I appreciated the fact that the Papal mainframe returned. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I like how it explored not just that, but it, it really shows her, commitment to Jenny to try to give her, you know, things that are important that she feels is important to her, you know, certain traditions, certain, certain things, because in years past, it hasn't been a, the, the focus of their relationship. And so trying to give her that by, you know, especially, you know, she, she almost doesn't want to take the case when it comes in and, and Jenny has mm -hmm. to persuade her to do that. And, you know, even when she's, going to take the uh, you know after they discover what uh is in the uh the the key within the the jewel that is in the uh, was it a brooch or a lock not a lock a pendant um and and vaster is going to take it and get as far away from jenny and strax and earth for that matter in order to protect mm -hmm. him it's just it's you know one thing after another and that conversation where you know uh jenny shows up after Vastra thinks, you know, she's away or, or going to be away. And, you know, we, you, you, we do these things before we talk. And, and I just, there's a thread of the relationship building between Jenny and Vastra here. And it's almost like the rest of the story is sort of taking an aside to what's important here. And I like that it's structured in such a way that there's, there's two stories or not two stories, but two themes happening within this story. I like the idea that they suss out that it's a trap, that it, it's not a, it's not to bring, it's, it's, it, it's a trap to bring the dot. Or they, was it the TARDIS? I don't remember. It was, it was, it was a trap to bring the TARDIS there so that they could steal. No, it was a trap to bring the doctor there. They presume in order to kill the doctor or, or, or capture the doctor or whatever. I think it's later we discover that it was a trap to get the TARDIS ultimately, but because this one has an after as well, another and, after, yeah. yeah, and it's it's it, we we find out who Madge actually was. <laughs> yeah, this one kind of ties into that 
the over the big story kind of ties into the overarching story. Yeah, it certainly does. I, More so than others. Well, and I think that's just it. I think we early on we get little nuggets and little little keys of these the two siblings, and then you know this is the one that sort of gives us that nudge into okay, these two are important, and something is happening here behind the scenes. That's a great story. I really loved it. It really was. was. Very fun. When you get nine stories into a book of uh, an anthology book, nonetheless, and you're still enjoying every bit of what you've been reading, it's that's high marks. I'll tell you that right now. That's true. Let's move on to the next one, which is Missing Habitats Frond. No, Missing Habitus Frond. (laughs) Excuse me. Habitus Frond. Yeah, Habitus Frond. Keith, I I'm going to let you start off on this story. one. Yeah, I was going to let you start off with this one because I have a few issues myself. I had issues with the story up until the very end. Because as we were going, I was like, why is Missy doing all of this? What? And then it's, oh, she's just bored and is actually wreaking havoc and not actually being helpful after all. Okay, I can buy it. <laughs> well, yeah, and... and- I agree with that, and I think that's a sufficient explanation, but I think my problem that I have with it is I didn't suspect that she was doing good. I didn't expect this to be... No, and that's the thing. I didn't expect this to be, you know, it's Christmas time, so she's feeling a little, you know, giving, in the giving mood to help somebody else. But I also thought that there should have been more because the Master and slash Misty, Misty, Missy, have always, there's always an ultimate goal for whatever they do. And while I think it is in character for Missy specifically to say, ah, I did it because I was bored, it makes sense for the character, so I'm okay with it. But I really wanted a more lofty goal or a lofty reason for why she was doing it rather than just telling me it was just because I wanted to cause some mischief. You know, that was my only problem with it. Um, yeah. Had what she'd been trying to steal been of a higher importance other than, you know, the Scottish jewels. I mean, it would have been added a little weight to why she was doing what she was doing. Right. Exactly. And I, I liked the ride. I liked the, the way that she was manipulating uh, the situation without it being overtly obvious that she was doing it. I suspected she was the reason for the body on the train platform. I suspected she was the one that pushed the it guy was off. Her the, glove. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I don't know that I even suspected it was her glove. Although in hindsight, I kind of went, Oh, uh, okay, obviously. But you know, I, I, the deaths I knew because she was always in that situation. She was walking away from the body yeah. in the one. She was already on the roof in the next one. So I, I sort of suspected that she was having a hand in all this. But so I wasn't surprised by that. But I still, every turn that they took, I thought, where are we going to go with this? And then to imply that it was the uh, inspector general guy or the the main, you know, the main detective, the boss. Uh, I thought, oh, aha, okay, so this is like an inside job. and Because she's manipulating him to believe that maybe the things that he's always done wrong, that he's bumbled in his life, weren't necessarily his fault, were a setup. And it's very early on implied that, no, he really was responsible for these. But as this progresses, 
you as the reader are almost convinced that, yeah, especially when we get to the fact that his boss might have been the one that was involved in this, you wonder, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> maybe, maybe he has been a patsy for a lot of things in the past. And then they turn that again on its ear. So that was well done. Yeah. Well, and, you know, from the get-go, I kind of suspected that Missy was a part of the jewel heist in the beginning. So it's that was always in the back of my head throughout the entire story, too. So it's not like I could really buy in on a lot of what they were trying to sell me. Yeah. I think the one missing piece I had, though, was whatever happened to the guy's... Um, bag and hat they left on the train it's still there <laughs> i had hoped that maybe that they were been lost and found i had hoped that something would have turned up later and connected to that because i kept thinking and it's probably because i hate to leave things behind but i kept thinking i hope this guy gets his hat and his bag back <laughs> not enough to take me out of the story but i kept thinking that's going to connect somewhere, isn't it? I mean, certainly that's going to be... It, he's either going to be framed with it or something, but no, never even addressed it again, so... Do, do, do you know what's inside the bag? What's inside the bag? The duck pond. <laughs> that's where they left it. <laughs> Should we move on? Sean, did you have anything about this one? Um... Other than uh, this is where I uh, stopped reading because I ran out of time. Uh, no, I, I, don't have I, I am unfortunately without opinion on the final three stories because I didn't get my homework done. So I, uh, no, I don't have anything to add and I will listen to uh, you guys uh, uh, wax philosophic on these uh, with much anticipation of finally being able to read these three. And the next one is A Day to Yourselves, which is a Ninth Doctor story. I enjoyed this one quite a bit, too. Did, Just did you? The idea. I did. I, I like the idea of, you know, the Ninth Doctor trying to go do something and keep keeping getting thwarted by his future self. I just found it immensely entertaining. <laughs> I think the concept of it is good. The idea was good. To me it missed the mark on the portrayal of the ninth doctor. And I think part of the problem that I have is it's hard to place when this happened. You presume that this is after his regeneration before he meets Rose, right? Yeah. You kind of have to. So if you put it in that context or time frame, the things that he's doing, it's almost like he's maybe maybe it does make more sense when I think about it. It's almost like he's looking for things to do. He's looking for things to he's looking for a purpose. And so I think that in turn kind of works against the story of his other incarnations trying to give him some time, you know, some time off because He's just come off of what he presumes is him ending the time war, the time war in such a way that he did. And so if I had come off of that, I might be trying to busy myself with, you know, saving civilizations or trying to help other planets or trying to help other other people and races and beings and things like that. But. Everywhere he goes, he's thwarted because his other incarnations have stepped in and taken care of it before he could do anything. And it's a nice sentiment that they're trying to give him basically, quote unquote, a day off. But 
it doesn't quite work because it's at a point where he's almost sabotage it it pushes it to the point where he almost sabotages a situation in order to find out what's going on and to me that wasn't very much in the character of the ninth doctor so i struggled a little bit with that i could see that but i think they're also trying to pass along a message to him that he needed at the same time well i think so too especially if this is right on the heels of the time war so yeah so it's kind of one of those it kind of toes the line but has a important aspect to it that's needed also yeah um it's Hmm. it's a short one in the ranks yeah it's a short one there's not a lot going on in this story um yeah there's not a lot of substance to it. yeah um but it's almost almost an appropriate spot for this because of where we go to in the next story. So it's almost a, okay, let's put the brakes on before we get into something that's a little more high-minded in the next story, which is the Paradox Moon. And this one features the 13th Doctor and the Shadow Architect from the uh, Shadow Proclamation. And then um, also... uh, the siblings, sibling different and sibling same, we're, we're same. We're finally getting to a point in this where uh, these this is the culmination of it. Yeah, these characters that have been sort of a a thread occasionally throughout this anthology are, are this is finally their story. Um, I like the idea of these paradoxal twins who are effectively out of time because of all of these dead-end timelines that have either been corrected by the doctor, uh, doctor's involvement in the past. Um, We also get the impression that they are victims of the time war, that they are somehow energy or paradoxes existing outside of that time bubble that was put on and locked the time war war away and that's part of the reason why they're kind of out of phase sync with society or with with reality i guess i should say and i like the idea that they're scavenging tardises or parts of uh, parts of the tardis from Mm -hmm. these broken timelines uh, in order to create their own TARDIS and 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 use that to, I, what were they trying to do? They were trying to get. They they weren't trying. To, they. That's the part of the story yeah, that I'm not clear on, and they that's weren't where it kind of necess- for me. They weren't necessarily trying to go fix anything, but I think they were trying to get back to where. They were trying to get back to their normal. I think is what they were looking for. But I think it is ultimately conveyed to them by the doctor that, you know, that isn't, in fact, something that can happen. And she tells them that in in such a way. And also that what they're doing by Frankensteining the TARDIS together is they're making things worse. And, the you know, they're, they're basically going to break the universe. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of high-minded ideas. It was a lot I of high-minded know ideas. No, they really make as much sense when you stop to think about them. I think it lands well enough for a interesting story to think about 
um, what's going on here. I think the other piece we're missing is um, that I think I don't think it's heavy handed, but I think there's like maybe a um, cameo link to Fraction Paradox, which was a storyline that started in the Eighth Doctor uh, books, novels. And then spun off into its own thing when Obverse, I think it's Obverse uh, Publishing or Obverse Books, took that story. They took the story over to there and they kind of changed things a little bit in order to get around copyright. But it splintered off Mm -hmm. from, from the BBC Books. And I did see where this is the first time that the Fraction Paradox has been at least mentioned since uh, those events in, in Doctor Who, uh, the eighth Doctor novels. So that was kind of interesting. But I wonder if we, if we would get something a little more out of it had we had more of that background. I don't know. Maybe. Another part of it that didn't quite sit as well is she seems to flip fairly easy. Who? The girl? Um, yeah, the girl. To, you know, change her mind about what they're trying to do. She seems to... I know there's not much you can do because it's a short story, well, so you kind of have you have to resolve it and move forward. But agreed. But seems- I, I kind of felt like it, I was it, it. I was sold by it better because it's the brother who's been very doubtful this whole time. That I think he flips first, but I think she realizes his sacrifice for her is what turns her around to realize that what they were doing was wrong. And so I think I was I was okay with it because she, after he makes the ultimate sacrifice for her in order to fix well gives he gives her energy and sub, his energy and substance to her and then ends up also then being able to you know repair the damage that they've done by doing that as well. I think that worked for me that she turns she turns so quickly. Now she was very steadfast and ruthless in her pursuit for whatever their yeah. ultimate was. So I can see where there might be a struggle, but I also see that I think I'm okay with the change because she recognizes the sacrifice that the, that the, that her sibling gave. It's just one of those things where if it was a, a longer story, they would have been able to flesh that out a little better. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, I think again, it's well done. It's an it's an enjoyable story. I liked it. I just I'm I'm with you. I think there might have been some maybe too high minded ideas that I didn't quite get. I I think this one would be uh, this whole book would would be a wonderful reread someday. But I think I might get more out of this one going back, especially now. I think having read the Canaries tie in, which let's step onto that one too. And Sean, you got this one read right. Yes, sir, I did. So Canaries was the uh, bonus story that they actually released on the release day of The Winter Paradox. And this is was uh, their uh, contribution to Time Lord Victorious. And I actually really, really liked this little short story. There's not a lot that happens here. I mean, I think it's only about if you, well, it was obviously released on the website, but I think if you printed it out, it's only about eight or nine pages. Uh, but this little curious museum in Switzerland and the curator of this museum having these impossible things from fractioned timelines. And she's worked it out that these are things that shouldn't exist in our reality. And she's worked yeah. it out that they're for the most part, she's worked it out that they're from somewhere else. They are. She, they're from times that never 
materialized. And I think what I really liked about it was I don't know if this was implied. There, there are you know the the Toclophane, um circuit board mm-hmm. is is one of them. Uh, the I, I I haven't seen this anywhere, and maybe it is on the wiki. Uh, but the coin that has the uh, Nazi emblems on it, but is from 1953, I believe is from one is it was a reference to at least. Um, one of the first four Time Worm uh, New Doctor adventures that I read where Ace and the Seventh Doctor end up in an alternate timeline where the, not, where the Nazis had won and had taken over England. And so I think mm. that maybe, maybe that was supposed to be a hint to there, but I haven't seen anywhere. I think it had Hitler on one side of the coin as well. So um, That's but, cool. But but just the neat little things that that you know that, that stuck out there. I, there there must have been. Oh, the the mention about uh, British royalty being connected or being uh, uh, having werewolves in the bloodline, oh, yeah. <laughs> which you know was a nod to uh, Tooth and Claw. Uh, just all these little neat things uh, that were peppered into this shop was pretty cool. I had and some different the, the fact that the masks wind up there too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the, uh, the masks obviously are uh, sibling same and sibling different. And um, I'm that was another thing that, that that it sort of ended in such a way that I wasn't sure where this is placed. Um, I read it after I read everything, and so to me, it was almost a prequel to their what they were doing in uh, over the course of this book that this was kind of the beginning of their timeline. Did I misrepresent that or see, I got the impression that it was after that. It was the doctor gifting these masks of these two people who've chased paradoxes. So why is it at the end that when the, there is the quote unquote time fracture, why at the end are the masks animated with almost a ghost like energy? That's what I didn't get. That's what I thought was maybe their first, or maybe that's why it's a paradox is maybe this is him gifting those masks after that event, because we know by the, I think it's the last call because the doctor's obviously making phone calls throughout time, pleading with her saying, you know, let me have these, you know, these are from times that are not supposed, these are objects aren't supposed to exist. And she thinks she's protecting them, which I think rightfully she she was in a way, but the last call is from the curator, and I think that we it's implied that he's the one that gives her the masks, right? And I, this is where they're getting the third classic doctor, aren't they? But it's not because the curator's not oh, no. technically a classic doctor. The third was oh the fourth doctor in that one story. The that fourth we missed. doctor, yeah, that's right. Because we had the seventh doctor, the fifth doctor, we had seven, seven, four, and five. Right. Okay, I forgot about four. Okay, I forgot about four. But anyway, I'm I'm kind of monopolizing the the discussion here. What do you guys think of this? Um, I read this one first before I delved into that. So I also very much took it as it felt like a prequel setup story for these things that then did keep showing up throughout the uh, the book. But having not finished the other short stories, I I don't know if the resolution of where they wind up is what would have put them into the museum. I don't think so, they left it, made it clear enough to know one way or another, but they have the masks in the final story, don't they? They do. They do. In fact, that this is the first time that they take them off is in that last story. 
they're yeah, it's, it's, it, well it's implied that they're wearing the masks in all of the little cameo appearances they have with the exception of madge you don't get the impression that she's wearing a mask you get the impression that she's a little girl Right. Or a 15-year-old yeah. girl, I should say, not a little girl. Yeah. But. Right, because he tosses her the mask at the end of that story. Right, right. Put it back on, yeah. I guess that's why I assume it was afterwards and that it's leftover paradoxical energy on the mask from their existence. Oh, I see. And maybe the time fracture charges, is causing that, charges yeah, that energy. Okay, Charging everything sense. up, because all of these things are leftover paradoxes. Ah. Uh. Ah, that's an interesting take on it. So another thing mm-hmm. that I've seen, too, is that this presumably, or could be, the event where that's that kicks off Time Fracture, which is the big event next year. And mm-hmm. I didn't know this until, I think, a few weeks back, and I think I shared this with you guys, but there are some unit videos uh, specifically produced, and I think they're online out there. We probably ought to explore these a bit, but... They're basically, because Time Fracture was supposed to have happened during this event and the whole Time Lord Victorious event, but COVID pushed it off February. But I guess these uh, unit videos exist out there that were kind of like piecemeal set up to the Time Fracture uh, event that, you, you know, the immersive event that you go to. And so some people are speculating that perhaps this is the first instance or the the cause the causal effect of the time fracture that will set up that immersive event later on uh, next year so i guess we'll have to keep an eye out for that that would be cool that's an interesting idea as well anything on this story that you guys want to add to i was particularly this- impressed with the idea that because it is um uh, the, the paradoxical nature of it, that it fits right in with Time Lord Victorious and kind of makes all of these other stories work, whether they are considered quote unquote real canon or, or not that it, it, it suddenly becomes just, it's a nice back door into, you know, Oh, everything is askew now because of what uh, the Time Lord Victorious is doing. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. In fact, very much so. Take it pretty far. Just very much so in the fact that there are these, you know, broken timelines that are have changed, and you almost, I almost wonder if that fracture comes from whatever ten is changing in the past in the dark times. If this is a cause and effect of that as well, so Mm -hmm. that could be the overall greater tie of everything. That's kind of what I have figured. Yeah. Pretty cool. It's neat too. Perhaps that they... Time Lord Victorious will go so far to, you know, make the different Eighth Doctor lines all be canon because they're just ended timelines. Yeah. <laughs> or the Seventh Doctor. Virgin Do- New Adventures or the Eighth yeah, Doctor. Yeah, the Seventh Doctor Adventures. stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. One. All these things that contradict each other are just separate timelines that never came to fruition. So Time Lord Victorious could possibly be their version of Crisis on Infinite Earths. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I was just overall quite impressed with this this selection. I Um, was too. It's so well written. So well done. Good stories. And this is actually the second set of uh, at least that I'm familiar with of anthological? Anthology, anthological stories uh, grouped together. Uh, 
Rudden also wrote uh, 12 Weeping Angels, which is an anthology set, uh, I think it was a couple of Christmases ago, maybe it was last year, 2018. It was le- released in 2018. And uh, I... I highly recommend people pick that up as well and and read that because it's got a lot of great stories in it as well all right well sean what we got coming up on the schedule well uh as with most things time lord victorious we have changes uh and uh, paradoxes and things that were going to happen that now didn't and never existed uh but what we think we are going to be reviewing next week well, we, include... know, we, we know on these these are certain <laughs> these are certain it's Mostly. beyond that, we don't know. We have uh, Tales of the Dark Times number three, which is uh, the uh, newest uh, installment from the Doctor Who comic maker, which uh, I'll throw a plug out there for that and see if you guys aren't playing with this, you really need to. It's just a lot of fun. <laughs> we have Monstrous Beauty number three, which is the continuation of the Ninth Doctor and Rose and the Vampires a comic book story. And then we have the enemy of my enemy, which is a big finish audio. And, uh, we think the next one in line for, uh, uh it's the eighth doctor, correct? Yeah. Eighth doctor and dogs. Yes. Yep. Uh, so the continuation of the eighth doctor is part of this. And those will all be, uh, things that we are reviewing. And then, uh, we are going to take a week off for Thanksgiving so there will be no new content from us uh, that week, and uh, hopefully that'll give us a chance to uh, let some of the Time Lord Victorious items uh, uh, kind of pile back up, as it were. So yep. we'll have more for you afterwards. And we are quite aware that uh, Daleks, the first episode, drops this week, um, but that is one of the things that we're going to put off. Uh, we're going to kind of group those up uh, after Thanksgiving, so... Hang on, we'll get to them. Don't don't start yelling at us going, hey, where's Daleks episode one? <laughs> you know you're going to want to revisit them anyway, so watch them now, and then when we go review them, rewatch them. That's right, exactly. And be sure to check out our website for any updates, travelthevortex.com. We'll be sure to keep you up to date on what we're doing. I think Sean is... <laughs> I think Sean is working up some paradoxal uh, uh, scheduling as well for you. So be sure to go there and read those. If you get any value out of this podcast, why not put some value back into it by uh, clicking on the patron link on the website. Consider supporting us. Thank you to those who always are. We appreciate it. Also consider giving us a five-star review wherever you listen to this podcast. Every little bit helps. And make sure you join in the conversation on our listeners forum on Facebook. Uh, anything else we need to do before we close the show? Quick congratulations to the five-ish fangirls who had their 300th episode Yay! this week. Congratulations, Yay! Congratulations. Lady. Big landmark for them. Yeah. All right. So that's going to do it. Until next time, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. No, I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Be seeing you. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. No infringement is intended or implied.